You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and it's going to be pretty much all about pitching today. I've been doing the position previews, position by position, and we're uh, reaching the finals, final, the final positions uh, in that series. And uh, I'm going to knock out pitchers all in one show here. Going to do a segment on starters, a segment on relievers, get it all done, Get you ready for your drafts this weekend, if you've got any. Uh, hopefully you do. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining the show. Uh, got a lot of other uh, things to get to before we even get to uh, those pitching previews. And on yesterday's show, uh, I talked a little bit about the Rays' plans to run out a four-man rotation and also talked about how that wasn't really the best of news for Jose De Leon. Well, Jose De Leon has much, much worse news to deal with now. Uh, he is going to have Tommy John surgery. So this on the heels of uh, the, the news that uh, Brent Honeywell needed Tommy John surgery. He had that recently. So bad, bad spring for the race. Uh, it's, it's a tough break. So De Leon, of course, going to be out for the uh, 2018 season. And uh, I don't know if uh, what the, the timing or the sequence of any of this was. If this had maybe had anything to do with the plan to go with uh, four starters, because it's it's really sort of it's an odd plan. And uh, in case you did miss that discussion yesterday, what the Rays plan on doing is doing a bullpen day if they need a fifth starter. So those bullpen innings are going to pile up, uh, and they're lacking some some really critical depth. Uh, it looks like Anthony Bonda now is uh would be next in line to fill one of those four spots if they if they need to do it or if they actually went to a, a five-man rotation and of course there's also matt andres still around uh, probably ticketed for a bullpen spot to start out the season but uh yeah not a good start uh to the year for the tampa bay rays apparently also not a very good start to the spring for Zach Granke, Zach Buchanan of the uh, Athletic Arizona tweeted out just a short while ago that uh, Granke said that he's got a nagging fear that he doesn't have it anymore. His uh, velocity apparently is down this spring. Uh, but to put this in perspective, Granke also said that he worries about his velocity being down every spring. So maybe nothing to panic about just yet, but uh, to certainly keep an eye on Greinke's performances uh, going forward um, because he's right in the mix there in terms of candidates to be maybe a low-end number one starter, maybe more in that number two starter uh, mix. I'm going to break that all down for you next segment while we do the uh, starting pitching preview. But uh, Greinke's stock probably should go down just a bit already with this news. And as we keep tabs on his uh, performance, on his velocity, uh, adjust Adjust that accordingly. In uh, other news, uh, Luke Gregerson has a tight oblique, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Cardinals manager Mike Matheny says it's just a little setback, but there is no timetable for Gregor Gregerson to start throwing again. I also do find it interesting that in this Post-Dispatch report that uh, Gregerson is still being referred to as the presumptive closer for the Cardinals because they've got quite the mix there. 
And I don't think there's really been any decision made in terms of whether or not Gregerson's going to close. And this injury, it might just be, even if it's not that serious, might be just the thing to maybe put a behind schedule just enough to open the door for somebody like uh, Dominic Leone or Tyler Lyons, uh, Bud Norris, uh, part of that mix now. A lot of candidates there. So uh, that's uh, also going to be an important uh, injury situation for us to watch. Talked about the Padres outfield earlier this week and what a crowded situation that is and how Franchi Cordero is opening some eyes this spring and might get the bigger half of, of a platoon. But you've got Hunter Renfro in there. Uh, you've got uh, you're, you had Alex Dickerson, but uh, Dickerson's been diagnosed with a UCL sprain and he is weighing uh, options of rehab and Tommy John, according to Dennis Lynn of The Athletic. So maybe that situation is about to get uh, just a little bit less crowded. Uh, Dickerson uh, last year uh, missing uh, a lot of time uh, with injury. I don't remember if it was the entire year or close to it, but uh, in any event, looks like it, it could be another lost season potentially uh, for Alex Dickerson. Uh, yesterday, the Mariners made their signing of Ichiro official. And now uh, today we have uh, from Scott Service uh, this report that he says that with Ben Walbeck Gamble is out, that Ichiro could play four or five times a week. And that was really what I was guessing, more or less. Uh, I mean, I didn't put a, a number on it in terms of times per week when I talked about it on yesterday's show. But it did seem like given the really the lack of depth that the Mariners have in the outfield, that each row is going to get a lot of playing time. So it appears that that's going to be the case early on in the season. Again, barring other moves, perhaps, that Jerry DePoto could make. Last year, uh, not a very good year for each row with the Marlins. Batted just 255 with three homers uh, in uh, really a, a part-time role. Two seasons ago, had a surprisingly good year where he flirted with 300. But last year, uh, really the first time, uh, struck out at a rate that was much higher than, than his norm. So uh, eventually time catches up with all of us. Uh, maybe it caught up with Chiro last year, but uh, he'll, he'll get another shot there with the, with the Mariners. And some Red Sox pitting news, according to the Boston Globe. Eduardo Rodriguez is ahead of Stephen Wright in terms of their progress. Both are expected to begin the season on the DL, but uh, Rodriguez is expected to throw live batting practice very soon. So very, very good news there for uh, Rodriguez. And then this note from John Heyman that Matt Kemp may make the Dodgers opening day roster when it was widely assumed that he was going to get moved or, or dropped. But apparently playing well enough so far this spring that he not only has a good chance of cracking the roster coming out of camp for the Dodgers, but may work himself into a platoon with Jock Peterson in left field. So that's, uh, I would say, not a very fantasy-relevant development, but uh, an interesting one nonetheless. But you figure Peterson was going to be in a platoon anyway, and with being in the lesser half of that, unless you're looking at daily leagues, uh, there's there's not... Still not that much appeal to Mac, but you know, never know. He's uh, he's come back before. We've written, I've uh, written Mac Kemp off. I shouldn't ascribe anything to you listening out there, but I've written Mac Kemp off at various times, and he's come back. Uh, so he's getting an opportunity to show what what he can do this year. Uh, Ricky Nolasco, he has signed a minor league deal with the Royals. He's going to get one point five million uh, plus there's incentives, and he also has an out clause. 
uh, that could be exercised on March 24th. Uh, that, according to John Heyman. Nolasco had a pretty bad season last year with the Angels. To be honest, when I was looking at Nolasco's stats, I was surprised that he really played a full season there in Anaheim. I mean, it was not a very good year, not a fantasy-relevant year for Nolasco, so was probably off my radar a bit. He went 6-15 and with a 4.92 ERA, gave up a whole bunch of homers, but he'll get another, another shot with the Royals. And some uh, injury news. The Marlins' Brett Graves, he's a Rule 5 pick pitcher, and uh, he has a left oblique strain and is being held off from throwing for at least a few days. And the Tigers have released Travis Wood. He uh, tore his ACL the other day. Uh, so he's going to be out for the season nonetheless. But uh, he was officially released by the Tigers. So I thought I would uh, check in with some spring training performances. I did a little bit of that on yesterday's show. And while I'll take a look at uh, a couple of pictures that went yesterday that, first of all, I find intriguing. And secondly, are involved in rotation battles. So there is some relevance here in that. And then also check in with some of the games that are going on today because there's some interesting pitching matchups going on into today's games. But going back to yesterday, um, one pitcher that I'm, I'm watching is Antonio Sensatella. And somebody asked me, this is a, a Twitter question within the last couple of days, other than John Gray, which Rockies pitchers am I targeting? And my response was, well, really the only other one that I'm targeting is Tyler Anderson. And I don't really know what to make of Tyler Anderson. He had a, a very up-and-down season last year that also involved some uh, time down with injury. But looks like uh, he's got the potential to be really good for strikeouts and good enough at getting ground balls that uh, Coors Field might not be too much of an issue for, for Anderson. So I see some upside there. I also see a whole lot of risk. But Sensatella kind of had a, a sneaky, intriguing uh, second half last year. And part of what makes it sneaky is from July 24th forward, he uh, was very good at getting ground balls, got them at a 53% rate, decent strikeout pitcher. And that's an upgrade from really what we had seen from Sanzatella early on in the season. 21% strikeout rate, pretty middle of the road, nothing to get really excited about, but you know he's not going to be, uh, if he keeps that up, not going to be uh, detrimental to your team's uh, strikeouts necessarily. But he had a 4.71 ERA. Uh, so that's the sneaky part. And I should also add that um, a lot of the appearances that he made in the second half were out of the bullpen. So you would expect a little bit of a bump in strikeouts pitching out of the pen. But his FIP was 3.27. And I'm going with FIP here as opposed to XFIP because he didn't give up a lot of home runs. And I'm, I'm kind of buying it. He, he seemed to be doing a very good job, uh, if you look at the statistics, of avoiding hard contact uh, over the last two-plus months of last season. So he has that going for him going into this season. And then yesterday against the Rangers, Senzatella uh, tossed four innings, just gave up one run on four hits and no walks with four Ks. So nice line for Senzatella. I think it's pretty much between him and Kyle Freeland for the fifth spot. Because uh, Jeff Hoffman, he sustained that shoulder injury. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's completely out of the mix, but it's going to put him behind. And Freeland, it's not, not gone that great for him so far. He's thrown five innings so far this spring and given up five runs. So Sensatella making a case to get in that rotation. And again, this is a whole lot of sketchy scenarios if this happens, if that happens. But 
if he could build on what he did last year, get a lot of ground balls, and, and be a decent strikeout pitcher, uh, Sensatella's going to be somebody to pay attention to in, in uh, particularly deeper leagues. Another rotation situation to watch is the Padres. Tyson Ross trying to make a comeback there with his uh, former and now current team. And eh, just sort of a mess start against the Giants yesterday. Three innings, uh, two runs on four hits and a walk, just one strikeout. Uh, but overall, decent results this uh, the spring. He's uh, thrown seven innings total, uh, has struck out seven batters with three walks. He's given up four runs. But uh, fairly encouraging. I mean, it's not, uh, look, if this were, you know, healthy, prime Tyson Ross, you wouldn't be impressed by those numbers. But, you know, given that this is somebody who has really struggled to come back, it's, it's somewhat encouraging. So uh, we'll keep an eye there on Tyson Ross. So as promised, I'll check in on some of the games that are uh, being played right now. But before I do, uh, just be sure to go check out Fantrax.com. You can create the ultimate dynasty keeper or a redraft fantasy league using Fantrax's free commissioner product. Find out how it feels to have the deepest player pool, multi-team trades, plus player salary and contract options, all of which are at your fingertips and all of which are fully customizable. And with Fantrax Treasurer, you can set league entry fees and safely distribute payouts without a third party so that you don't have to track down owners for payment. Just enter the promo code AL. That's me. That's my name. A-L, just those two simple letters. Put those uh, two little letters in the promo code box uh, at the bottom of the sign-up page. And what that does is that puts you into a drawing to possibly win 10 private consultations with me for absolutely free. Uh, I do those by phone or by Skype. I sell them on almelker.com. That package of 10 consultations for $109. You'd be in the drawing to get those for absolutely free. So just remember, promo code AL. And find out why Fantrax is the home of fantasy sports. Check out Fantrax.com today. So not that we're terribly worried about Steven Strasburg or Noah Syndergaard in terms of their their fantasy value. But at least you know, we got the treat earlier uh, this afternoon to uh, watch them face off against each other. And it was another dominant performance for Syndergaard. This is so great to see. Uh, pitched three and a third innings. Didn't give up any runs on uh, two hits and two walks and struck out seven Nationals batters. That's fantastic. Strasburg, not quite as dominant, but still uh, not a bad line there. Three and a third, five strikeouts, two, uh, three hits, two walks, two runs allowed. I think, uh, I want to say those may have been both in the fourth or definitely uh, held them scoreless in the first and the second for Strasburg. And then more on uh, kind of the fringes. Wanted to keep an eye on a couple of pitchers battling for rotation spots, one of which is Ben Lively, who I talked about on yesterday's show, part of a big, big group battling for a couple of spots at the back end of the Phillies rotation. He went up against Luis Severino. Well, Severino was terrific uh, today against the Phillies. Uh, Lively, the, the line does not look so good for him, but uh, it sort of unraveled quickly for Lively. Uh, this one was televised, so I got to got to see it. So the final line, four innings for Lively, just one strikeout, a couple of walks, five hits, three runs, uh, but he gave up uh, a, a loud home run to uh, Didi Gregorius and had been going along pretty smoothly before that. So a more, I would say a more encouraging start for Ben Lively than the, uh, the box score would seem to indicate. And also uh, kind of an intriguing 
matchup with the uh, Orioles and the Blue Jays. You had Aaron Sanchez going. Uh, pretty nice outing for him. And then for the, of course, he's not you know battling for a spot or anything, but want to see how he's doing after uh, a season that was really impacted by blisters. Going up against Mr. Cortez Jr. for the Orioles, Sanchez threw three innings, uh, one run on four hits and a walk with five strikeouts. So very nice line for him. Cortez struggled a bit, three innings, uh, three runs on six hits, but no walks, just one strikeout for Cortez. So uh, he's certainly in that mix for uh, the Orioles' fifth starter job. And so on that note, we're going to head to break and uh, come back. Got a starting pitcher preview. We got a reliever preview. I'm going to bring Mike Florio on with me here because I've got a question that's bugging me. Want him to help me think it through. So all that coming up right after the break. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And, you know, I just kind of blew right into the show, right out of the gates in the first segment. And uh, I'm sure you are all wondering what is going on here because it is a nondolist Thursday. And a nondolist Thursday is a sad Thursday. I'm trying to make the best of it here. But uh, no Nando today could be with us here. So hopefully we'll get back uh, to the way things should be next week with a Nando Thursday. Um, however, uh, I do want to uh, talk to Mike Florio here uh, a little bit. Uh, and also we've got starting pitcher preview to get to, reliever preview. Could be so much pitching. You're just not going to know what to do with uh, all of that. Uh, but before I dig into any of it, uh, you got to be sure to catch the DKMS 2018 March Madison special on Monday, March 12th at 4 p.m. Eastern right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network with host Craig Carton. Get the edge on filling out your bracket with analysis from Greg Sussman, Mike Blewett, and special guest Yahoo's Brad Evans. And if you're looking to make some money, Gabe Morency and Blackjack Fletcher will line your pockets. The broadcast will be simulcast on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube live page. It is the DKMS 2018 March Madness special on Monday, March 12th. That's just this coming Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific time, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ah, All right, Mike Florio, how are you doing today? I'm good, Al. I'm no Nando, but I'll try my best. <laughs> None of us is Nando. That just kind of goes without saying. Um, 
But you know, I, ha- I, I, no, I was telling you this over the break. I, I had this question. It literally woke me up in the middle of the night, which maybe tells you more about me than, than anybody wants to know. <laughs> this question that bothered me, I thought, I've got, I've got to talk about this on the show, and I'd rather not just blab about it. Uh, uh, so I want to get your, your feedback here. I, I've uh, done drafts, not including mocks, for six leagues so far. In five of them, I've drafted Franchi Cordero. I really like Franchi Cordero. Um, he hits with a lot of power. He's got an awesome name. I can come up with cool team names. I mean, those are probably not among the bigger Th- reasons. Those are, I just really like Franchi Cordero. Those are key reasons to draft him, though. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I got to thinking, like, I realized that, um, you know, depending on the depth of the league, uh, you know, in some of the deeper leagues I'm going for him in more like the, like, 17th, 18th round and shower leagues. It's like the reserve rounds, like, you know, late 20s, early 30s. Uh, but I'm, I'm making a point of getting him. And and I realize it's not just Franchi Cordero. Like, there are certain players that are just popping up on my rosters over and over again just because I like them, because I found some cool statistical thing about them this offseason or whatever. And I'm not sure that that's a, that's a good thing because, you know, on this show, every single day I preach using a tiers-based approach and taking things round by round. And I realize I'm kind of just ditching my strategy at some point in every one of these drafts to get certain players that I really like. So, well, my first question to you, Mike, is, well, first of all, how many drafts have you done so far? I've done five. I'm actually starting my sixth one uh, in a couple of days. Okay. All right. So we're pretty, pretty much in the same place. Um, have you done a similar thing where you try to be consistent and approach every draft with a, a consistent strategy that you, you know, that you stick with throughout the draft? I try to do that, but I'm like you, Al. We all have players that we like. Like I'm completely <laughs> in on Blake Snell. And I, I own Blake Snell on probably like three or four of those teams. I own uh, Cespedes on a handful of them because I felt like he was a good value every in like the sixth round of fifteen teamers or even the eighth and twelve teamers. So I do have a there are guys that I have on multiple teams, but one thing I try to do a little bit more consciously is I know the players I like, so I try to make them fit my strategy. Like with the Blake Snell, I go with the with the strategy where I'll take like two pitchers in the first like four rounds and then I wait and try to load up on some upside arms later on and, and he fits that strategy. So I try to I know there's gonna be players that I want, so I try to find a way to make them fit what I'm doing. Well that's fair. I mean I think I do that too, but and I think that's good advice to give to people who might, you know, sort of have the same dilemma. But um yeah, it's just kind of funny because, like, I you know, I go through this painstaking process of looking at all the different positions and looking at how empty or full the tiers are. And then I just hit a certain point in the draft. And again, like I said, depends on the depth of the league in terms of when it happens, usually pretty late, where I just kind of, you know, throw it all to the wind. And I'm like, okay, the play, these players I like, are they still out there? <laughs> and, and stuff them on my queue before I forget to. Um, so, but, and you know, and I had an interesting thing happen in my uh, great fancy baseball invitation, invitational league, where I was kind of doing this and I recognized I was doing this where I was just sort of looking for certain players that I always draft and realized I needed to pick up another pitcher. And I saw Tanner Roark there and he's like as boring and vanilla as it gets. But I was like, oh, I got to put all these guys in my queue on hold because Tanner Roark is far better 
than every pitcher that's not only in my queue, but that's that's just in the draft room, period. So that was kind of like what what got me thinking about this. I, I like, like Tanner Roark a lot. Fit... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it kind of fits my MO of, you know, targeting pitchers who are sort of boring, <laughs> get overlooked, but, you know, they're there with consistent innings and a good enough strikeout rate to, to not hurt you. And in Roark's case, they can give you a lot of wins. But, um, yeah, that sort of that realization that I wasn't even being conscious of the fact of that I was sort of ditching my strategy midstream <laughs> and then I picked it up again and, and made what I thought was one of my better picks. So, I don't know. Uh, you know. It sounds like you kind of reconciled yourself to it that – you know, you're just going to go after players you like, and you just try to make it make it fit into your your bigger framework. And I think that's that's probably the best of both worlds. Yeah, but the downside of that is like I own way too many shares of Johnny VR because I I always find like I need speed because the guys I take early on don't really have speed, so he's a cheap source of speed that maybe won't kill me in other categories. But yeah, I own too many shares of Johnny VR, so that's where like it comes back to haunt you a little bit. Well, I guess I don't know, but I mean, given that he's going like around 200 in in ADP, uh, you know, it seems like a pretty good upside play with with very minimal risk. I, I do really like him at where he's going, and, and like you mentioned, Tanner Roark. I like those are guys that I own a lot of Tanner Roark because I think he's an easy guy to fit into any strategy. But like, if Johnny VR repeats what he did last year, I'm probably going to be uh, looking for a new middle infield option in a lot of leagues. <laughs> That's this is true. This is true. Uh, well, you know, uh, since we both brought up Tanner Roark, um, he's part of a small group of what I call safety pitchers that are outside uh, about the top forty or so. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'll get to that. But uh, I've got uh, a starting pitcher preview queued up for you here, where I go through tier by tier, really just like I've done with um, all the other positions. Uh, so let, let's start at the top here. The big four, Kershaw, Scherzer, Sale, Kluber, uh, in terms of ADP and uh, NFBC leagues, they're uh, very closely sandwiched together. Their ADPs are between 7 and 15. So if you're in a 15-teamer, don't count on getting (laughs) one of them after the first round. Um, But then the second tier is where I think it really starts to get interesting because there's, there's really quite a gap between the big four and the next group of pitchers that are going. And uh, you got Steven Strasburg, uh, Bass Bumgarner, uh, Luis Severino, Noah Syndergaard, who, again, pitched a, a gem today in spring training. Um, you got Jacob deGrom and then Carlos Carrasco. And they're also very closely clustered, but between the 25th and 37th pick. So, um, I mean, Mike, does that, do you see any reason to reach for any of those second-tier pitchers in, in the second round, because they're pretty much not going in in the second round. People are, are sort of taking a breather from pitching. Nope. I think uh, if you don't take one of the big four, you could wait until the third round and get any one of the second-tier pitchers and maybe even double up with getting another one in, in the fourth round. Yeah, and, and um, you know the next tier comes really closely on the heels of the second tier. To the degree, you really could view it as one big tier. Uh, that includes Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke, Robbie Ray, Yu Darvish, Chris Archer, and Carlos Martinez. So those three tiers combined have 16 pitchers. And now Greinke I talked about earlier. He's having velocity issues. 
Uh, maybe 16 becomes 15 <laughs> if those issues uh, linger. And, you know, we have to be concerned about Zach, Zach Greinke. But for right now, I'm counting 16 pitchers that I'm perfectly happy to have as a number one or a number two. Um, you know, I like that group. But then you get beyond that. And, um, you know, I think it really behooves you to to try to get two of those top 16. Because the next group, I, I do like Aaron Nola. Uh, so I think if you can get Nola, that's fine. But I, I've not I've not been big on Jose Quintana. Shohei Otani, I mean, he may be great, but I, I doubt he's going to pitch more than 160 innings. So what he's doing in the top 20 in ADP among starters, I don't totally get. James Paxton, is he going to stay healthy? That's a question. Same question for Dallas Keuchel. And then you've, you, uh, you've got Garrett Cole, who a lot of people have high hopes for. I have high hopes for, but... Facing facts, he's he's been a little bit up and down. So if you don't get your second pitcher, uh, then you're, you're really having to rely on one of those guys to be your number two. Um, does that would that leave you with a uh, you know a, a warm, secure feeling <laughs> if you had to have Katana uh, or Otani or Paxton or somebody like that as your number two? No, I've I've done in all my drafts. I've ended up with two of the top 16 guys because of that reason. Like, I want to secure the top of my rotation. I've ended up in a, like one draft where like I have James Paxton even as my number SP three. So I've kind of mm-hmm. put an emphasis on attacking pitching early in drafts this season. Yeah, no, I I, I totally subscribe to that. Um, so with those six, that gets you to 22. So, uh, you know, it just may be that you miss out on, you know, Archer or Carmart or, or you Darvish and, um, you know, you're having, you know, maybe you get Aaron Nola. Like I said, I'm, I'm pretty okay with Nola, uh, but you, you, one way or the other, you're getting your one and your two from that cluster. And then you've got a big group that's really, really tightly knit in ADP. Uh, I'm just going to reel off a bunch of names here, but this, these are basically your candidates for number three starter. And it's really all over the map. Luis Castillo. Jake Arrieta, Masahiro Tanaka, Jose Barrios, uh, Jared Weaver, or not Jared Weaver. I do that almost every time, Mike. <laughs> Luke Weaver, David Price, Alex Wood, Kyle Hendricks, John Lester, Rich Hill, Zach Godley, Marcus Stroman. I mean, that's really quite the assortment there because you've got young up-and-comers like Castillo, uh, Barrios, and, and Weaver, Price uh, coming back from injury, Alex Wood. Uh, health and consistency risk. Um, Rich Hill, health and consistency risk. Uh, Stroman with with the shoulder issue. So, you know, pretty much risk with everybody there. But out of that group, who who would you target? Mike Florio, are you with us? Sorry about that, Al. I'm here. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Luis Castillo, Jake Arrieta, Masahiro Tanaka, Jose Barrios, uh, uh, Luke Weaver, David Price, Alex Wood, Kyle Hendricks, John Lester, Rich Hill, Zach Godley, Marcus Stroman. Those are basically your options for number three starter. Out of that group, who do you like? There's a few names you named I like. Tanaka is a guy that I, I feel like I'm a lot higher on than other people. His swing and strike rate was the third highest in the league. I think his strikeout numbers will catch up to that. Uh, and, and I think he's safe. I think that elbow issue is behind him. Kyle Hendricks is a guy that if you play in points leagues, I'm, I'm very high on. Um, 
Luis Castillo, I'm buying into him that he started throwing his sinker in the second half of the season. I think that is uh, for real. Then uh, did you mention Paxton in that group as well? Because I'm a big believer in James I think Paxton, Paxton was in the previous. Okay. Yes, he was in the previous group. And Rich Hill in, in a roto league where you don't need innings to, like in a points league, you need those innings a little bit more. In a roto league, I think right. on a per-inning basis, Rich Hill is, is worth where he's going. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, that's it's eerie because <laughs> that's I could say the exact same thing. And I really, in fact, uh, I've got a piece coming out on Fantrack. Should be out a little bit later today on uh, players I've been targeting frequently, frequently, not necessarily on purpose, just players I've been drafting a lot. And Tanaka is right there because um, he is relatively safe uh, compared to the rest of that group. Uh, and really, once you get get beyond that group. Then you know you get to uh, a really interesting uh, collection uh, of pitchers. Where again, you've got a small number who are safe. You've got a good number who have a great deal of upside, but they're high uh, upside, high risk. And um, and then you've got some pitchers that are kind of hard to categorize, but they're basically consistency and or health risk. So I'm going to break those down. But before I do. Uh, just a quick word here. Fantasy Factor is the perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreational player. Flatter prize pools, smaller fields, and single entry contests only. Fantasy Factor always has fun contests going. Right now, free entry. There's a March Madness bracket and a Sweet 16 bracket. And Fantasy Factor is running a 100,000 home run derby this year. Simply sign up and enter www.fantasyfactor.com. So, uh, anyhow, kind of left y'all hanging with uh, the rest of these uh, pitching categories. I'll pick it up on the other side because I know we got to head to break uh, momentarily here. But it's just a mess after you get beyond your number one, number two. And, and number three is even kind of messy, but then it really gets fun. Uh, but there's some really interesting high upside pitchers that are still out there outside of the top 35, top 40. Uh, so I'll be getting to those. Uh, and I'll be doing it very, very shortly here. And uh, also after the break, once I uh, wrap up the preview for starters, give you a preview for the relievers as well. So all that coming up. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back. You're listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And let's get right back into the pitching. A mega pitcher preview. Got to wind up the starting pitcher preview, and then we'll go right into relievers. So where I left off, we uh, sort of uh, worked our way through the top 36. So basically your one, two, and three options in 12-team mixed leagues. 
And then beyond that, you've really got some choices to make. Uh, and given that there's quite a bit of risk just even within that top 36, uh, you'd like to maybe uh, solidify your rotation with uh, a safer uh, option. And uh, to that, I say good luck <laughs> because uh, the, I'd say the most of the, the truly safe options are pitchers you probably can wait on a little bit uh, beyond the top 35 or 40 or so. Uh, I'd say Sonny Gray is one that you definitely want to target uh, because he'd be appropriate to draft as uh, either a low-end number three or high-end number four starter and um, probably would go pretty quickly once you were looking to fill that slot. But otherwise, you're basically looking at uh, the aforementioned Tanner Roark, Jay Happ, Marco Estrada, uh, Michael Waka. Um, and not that these pitchers are, aren't without some risk, but, you know, relative to the field, they're pretty steady and, and pretty, you know, predictable. So uh, pretty much you have to resign yourself to taking on some risk. And by the way, in the, in the safety uh, section here in my notes, I have a couple of pitchers with question marks. Taiwan Walker, I don't really know how safe he is, but with the humidor and given how well he did away from Chase Field last year, I actually feel pretty confident uh, drafting him as a number four starter. And the other one I have is Irvin Santana. You can wait because he's going to uh, miss a, a month plus early on in the season. But again, not flashy. And, and there is the risk of him maybe not coming back 100%. But he should be, I would expect him to be pretty solid. And, and he's very, very inexpensive at this point. Now, if you whiff on that entire group, which is not very big, then you're dealing with Really, really risky pitchers, and I've lumped them into two groups. Um, pitchers who just have a world of talent, great skill, indica- great skill indicators, but um, maybe just uh, not pitching a lot of innings, a limited track record. Um, and so I'll do, if I get to the list, you'll understand what I'm talking about here. Lance McCullers, I think he has ace potential, but will he ever stay healthy and pitch enough innings? Trevor Bauer, we've seen his ups and downs. Danny Salazar, also not going to be ready by opening day. Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman, uh, very encouraging second halves last year. Is it enough to be able to trust them? Denelson Lamette, he's not been as hyped or drafted as early or as aggressively as I thought he would be. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because the, the strikeouts are obviously going to be very helpful, but this is somebody who doesn't pitch with great control and can get hit hard. So he's a, a certainly a flawed strikeout pitcher. Blake Snell, who Mike Florio talked about uh, earlier in the, uh, the show. I like Blake Snell too. Very encouraging second half, but you know, we could sort of lump him in with Bundy and Gosman. Is that enough for us to really trust him? And then finally, Mike Clevenger and there's a little bit of a playing time risk there for him because he's in the rotation just because Salazar won't be. But I, I do think that he's got a, a pretty good shot. I wouldn't call it a slam dunk, but he's got a pretty good shot to stay in the rotation once Salazar comes back. I, could, I would see it being much more likely that Josh Tomlin or Ryan Merritt would get uh, booted out of the rotation than Clevenger. But he's got control issues, so he could pitch his way out of a job too. They've all got issues. <laughs> so these are big-time risk-reward types. And then there's another risky group that I think is not quite as uh, extreme at the, the polar opposites in terms of what they could give you. 
but they're risky nonetheless, either because of uh, a, a pattern of inconsistency or a pattern of health issues. Jeff Samarja, from year to year, you just never could be quite sure what you're going to get from him. Pounds the strike zone sometimes, maybe a little too much, uh, is, is a little too hittable. Garrett Richards, uh, big question as to whether or not he can stay healthy. I have some concerns about Michael Fulmer and whether he's going to be able to stay healthy. Jamison Tyone, um, I don't worry too much about health there. It's just that he never really got a chance last season to to you know, get in a groove. So I'm not really sure what we'll get from Tyone this year. And then Aaron Sanchez, who who pitched a little bit earlier today, uh, very good two years ago. Looked like maybe he overperformed a little bit. But again, last year, because of all the blister issues, we never really got to see a chance. You'd never get, we never got a chance to see what Sanchez would look like post-regression. So I'm not sure what to expect from him. So I think this whole bunch of pitchers that I just mentioned are all good candidates for your number four and number five slots, but you just had better hope that somewhere uh, that you, you've got a little bit of safety and stability in your rotation. Now, in terms of sleepers that you can get really, really late, I mean, there's there's really a lot of good ones. In fact, I find in drafts that you know I stuck my cues up with uh, – Pitchers I think have a, a lot of upside, and you know, and they're still sitting there at the end of the draft. There's a lot, of, but uh, I'll name just a few that I work a little extra hard to target. And one is Luis Gohara. I've got a few shares of him already. Just looked really good last year at the Braves. I don't know that he's gonna start the year in the rotation, but I, I do like his chances to pitch enough innings to matter, and just looked really good last year. Jordan Montgomery, I've said before on this show, I don't know uh, how solidified his position is as the Yankees' number five starter, but he certainly has the skill set to be to be successful there. And you know, gosh, if he does make steady starts, uh, there's a lot of win potential there with that lineup. Mike Fulton, Nevich, think he could be a breakout candidate this year. Uh, one of the pitchers that I like to uh, to target late, uh, pretty good strikeout pitcher. Did a little better job of uh, avoiding home runs last season, and uh, you know just might be able to put it all together this year. And then finally, Joe Musgrove, who I have talked about quite a bit on past episodes, and not just the Sparp appeal that he'll you'll be able to use him in relief slots in head-to-head leagues, but uh, just the the improvements that he made in the transition to the bullpen, and speculating a bit that he can make some of that. Uh, make those improvements work in a transition back to the Pirates rotation. So uh, anyhow, that's uh, pretty much what I got to say there on starting pitching. Just, you know, make sure you get a couple of studs early. If you get three, all the better, uh, because uh, you're, you're just going to have to live with some un- uncertainty uh, as you fill out your rotation. Now, before I get to uh, relievers, just a quick note here from DKMS. LeBron James is a four-time NBA MVP. Mike Trout, a two-time AL MVP. And while you'll never be either, you can still be an MVP of your own because you can save someone's life. By going to dkms.org slash FNTSY today, you can learn what you can do to help. Six out of every 10 patients will not receive a bone marrow transplant. We want to try to change that, and it all starts with you. 
at dkms.org slash FNTSY. You can register to become a bone marrow donor, and it only takes one minute. You can sign up online, and DKS, DKMS will send you a swab kit. You swap your cheeks, send it back to DKMS, and that's it. It's that easy. So please, go check out DKMS.org slash FNTSY and join the more than 950,000 others that have signed up to be bone marrow donors. <clears throat> All right, and I apologize for my voice, by the way. I'm... Uh, Fighting the flu here. I think the flu is uh, starting to win a little bit. <laughs> but uh, we've got relievers to go, so uh, we got to power through here. And so, uh, like as with uh, pretty much every other position, you've got a small elite, a small, uh, pretty distinct elite. Kedley Jansen, I think, is pretty much in an elite all by himself. Uh, just not only because of the high level at which he performs, but the consistency. Because you got Craig Kimbrell, who's the the number two reliever, and he was really pretty much on a par with with Jansen last year. But Jansen's been doing this year after year after year, whereas last year was really sort of a comeback season for Kimbrell. So um, within the top tier, you've really got many tiers of, of individual relievers. Jansen's a clear number one. Kimbrell, clear number two. I think Araldus Chapman's a clear number three, and I think it's a distant number three from Jansen and Kimbrell. Uh, you know, last year was really a roller coaster ride with health issues and uh, some real inconsistency. And you know, uh, we fancy owners we we pick up on that because in NFBC ADP, Chapman is actually slightly behind Corey Knebel. And I have to say, I find that a little bit surprising. I also as many reservations as I have about Araldus Chapman this year, I think Knievel's got some some worries of his own. Uh, he, he's got, uh, last year in particular, really had some control issues. And I mean, they got masked because he struck out so, matter, so many batters. He had a big spike in velocity. So um, he certainly had a, a very nice season. Is he going to be able to maintain what he did last year? You know, we'll see. Is, is this one and done for Knievel or, or is, you know, is that is this the beginning of a, a run of some dominant seasons for him? I'm not so sure. But the fact that he doesn't pitch in the zone a whole lot and isn't really elite in terms of getting batters to swing at bad pitches. That's a combination that that worries worries me. And not to say that I wouldn't be happy to roster him, but not at the price where he's going. Um. You know, all these folks in the uh, the top tier here are going in you know, roughly the, the 40 to 50 range. That feels way too costly for me to take a gamble on Knievel or Chapman, for that matter. So, uh, and then from there, it really uh, it doesn't get any <laughs> any safer necessarily. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's an argument to, to go aggressively after Kenley Jansen, given how much better and more consistent he is than everybody else. But who are the other players that you could get right around the 40th pick? You get Justin Verlander. You get Andrew Benintendi. You could get Reese Hoskins. You get D. Gordon. I mean, those are tough players to pass up on. You think, you know, pass up on a D. Gordon. You you may not you'll be getting a very good second baseman if you let him go by. Outfield thins out pretty quickly. Um, Hoskins... That, that'd be a tough guy for me to pass up 
around uh, that that point in the draft. So as much as I love the the theory of being aggressive to get Kenley Jansen, I can't really see myself doing it much in the same way that I have a hard time seeing myself owning Gary Sanchez this year. But if you do want some encouragement, <laughs> take a look at the next tier of relievers because there's uh, some worries here. Uh you got Roberto Ozuna, who had a massive decrease in velocity last year and a, a pretty difficult second half. You got uh, Ken Giles, who looked like he was losing the closer's job in the World Series last year. Edwin Diaz, a little bit of a disappointing sophomore season from him. Felipe Rivero, not too much to worry about there, but he did tail off a bit in the second half. Rysel Glacius. now this to me... This is the sweet spot because he's going a bit later than everybody else that I just mentioned. And I don't see any any big big red flags or even any little ones with Rysel Glacius. And I have drafted him in a couple of leagues, so uh, probably no coincidence there. Wade Davis I've been sleeping on and, and researching for this episode. I realize Wade Davis, yeah, he was a little worse last year than he had been before, but really not that much. He's still really good at uh, limiting soft uh, or limiting hard contact and, and getting strikeouts. And Brad Hand, I think, is also a relative value towards the end of uh, of the second tier. And then the third tier, I think, is pretty interesting too, because now you know we're quite some distance from the big three or big four, and there's some interesting names here: Sean Doolittle. There's a health risk there, or at least a history of health problems. But man, when he's healthy, he's good. He's he's almost as good as anybody. Um, Hector Neris, I feel like he gets a little bit of a bad rap. Alex Colome, a lot of saves last year, not very good peripherals, but maybe he can bounce back. And Rodas Vizcaino, I, I I would put him a half step or more below the others in this group, but he's being drafted uh, at, at a similar time, so uh, he belongs there. And then that you're you're now you're dealing with really risky uh, closers. So if you can certainly get your first two out of the the previous three tiers that I mentioned, you're doing well. But that's going to be hard to do. I'm finding it hard to do that in my drafts, and at the same time fill all my other needs. So I am taking relievers out of the fourth or fifth tier. Mark Melanson, Jerry's Familia, uh, and Familia, you know. Didn't, didn't pitch all that great when he came back last year, but he is supposed to get the bulk of the saves for the Mets. So he's not a bad value. Brandon Morrow, he is going so late. I get it. The the lack of a track record is a closer, uh, the injury history. But again, you know, just like I was saying about Sean Doolittle, when he's healthy, so good. He was so good last year. Um, closing for the Cubs should have uh, value as long as he stays healthy. Archie Bradley, we don't even know if he's going to be the Diamondbacks closer. Uh, Blake Trinan, Kelvin Herrera, uh, Brad Brock, Blake Parker. Brock probably only going to spend half the year, if that, as the Orioles closer. Blake Parker, who knows what Mike Socha is going to do this year. So a lot of risk with with all these folks, uh, but obviously some promise with all of them. And Andrew Miller is also a part of this tier as well. So this is when you can start looking at the elite non-closing relievers, uh, starting with Andrew Miller. And then sort of uh, last resort closers, Fernando Rodney, who actually I think doesn't deserve that and had an unheralded year last year. Shane Green, who I don't really uh, have much faith in, and Luke Gregerson, who has got some competition and now also an injury. So 
Uh, you know, that's pretty much it. And then the the Marlins, White Sox, and Rangers situations are really sort of up in the air. So I'm I'm basically avoiding those. But that's it. And got this all in in just enough time. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh, hanging in there with my fading voice. And uh, hope you have a great day. And uh, be here again tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a good one, everybody.